Welcome to this episode of Consider It Blacklit. I am Kim Singleton, your host. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, Consider It Blacklit highlights films, television programs, and stage plays featuring African-Americans up front and behind the scenes. We also discuss social issues as it relates to some of these programs and how they may or may not impact our communities. So thank you for tuning in and we hope you continue to tune in each week. Today, it is my pleasure to talk about a film that I recently watched on Amazon Prime. It's called How King. It is a musical with a mostly black cast and it is fantastic. Joining me today is Steve Wallace, the creator and the person who wrote all the music for the film. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Kim, how are you? <laughs> I am fine. I am excited to let people know about your film. So before awesome. we delve into the film, tell our audience about who you are and your experience in the arts. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm Steve Wallace. I'm a, a singer and composer and a music producer. Um, I'm from Chicago. Uh, originally, uh, I've been living in New York for, I don't know, close to like 20, 20 years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I got my start, you know, in, in Chicago, of course, grew up in a church um, and got into like R&B and hip hop and like a, the whole black music experience, uh, just growing up and living there. And um, I, 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 I became a part of this music organization called the Merritt School of Music when I was about nine years old. And that's when I first got my, maybe not my, my first time, but that's when I really started studying music on the classical side. Um, and when I auditioned for college, um, in, I knew I wanted to be a music major, but when I auditioned for colleges and sang some of the songs I learned there and I got in, I didn't know these co the college I got into was an all classical program, um, which meant that uh, with voice being my my primary instrument, I did play piano and guitar uh, at that time, but I became an opera singer all of a sudden, and I didn't wasn't expecting to do that, but I had a black professor that really just kind of opened me up to like the ideas of opera and the thoughts behind it, and I started really liking the the art the the storytelling aspect of opera. I mean, it, since then, I, I went and got into like R&B and hip hop as a producer and songwriter and worked with Ghostface and Legacy and De La Soul and Eric Roberson and like all these great artists. Um, and um, but I got drawn back to the opera side and went back, got my master's degree in classical voice and then got into writing operas. And and that's kind of what brings me to where I am today. Wow, wow, that's fantastic. You are so talented. So let's Thank talk you. about how King is described as an R&B opera. Yeah. Tell our audience what it's about and what it's based on. Yeah, how King is a coming of age story. Um, it's about a young young man named Hal. Um, it, this is set in the loosely in the late 1950s in the United States, a black a black town. Um, and a young man named Hal, who whose father is a political a leader and community leader um, in the town and he doesn't live up to his responsibility of being the son of this respected leader of the community um, and he has to go through a lot of different things in his life which pushes him into the the place of having to be a community leader as well and he grows up through the process in the midst of that he initially meets this young lady who he doesn't see eye to eye with but later on 
um, when he has grown and stepped into his into himself as a as a as a young man um, and living to his responsibilities, they begin to see eye, eye to eye and they fall in love with each other. And um, that's the essence of it. The the actual origins of this of this story project tra trajectory comes from Shakespeare as a, a little bit of Romeo and Juliet but it's mostly from um, King Henry the fourth and fifth um, where it talks about Prince Hal and how he just likes hanging out at the at Madame Quickly's and drinking with Falstaff well you know we've changed some of the names and made it you know 20th century in a black town so that's the that's the essence of it there Wow. Wow. So tell us about the process of writing music for a film. Did you write the music first or did you develop the story first and the music came later? You share, share that with yeah. us. So I, this is what, what I did. So the first thing we did, I, I, I had a friend adapt the Shakespeare story and I had in my mind the idea of the concept of it as far as bringing these worlds of opera and R&B and soul music and hip hop all together in this one thing and jazz too. And, um, but I, I knew what I wanted it to feel like so that it could be, it could seem like an, it has an operatic inclinations. And so I spoke to a friend about writing the story and she adapted the Shakespeare. Um, and I, I took that story to another person who wrote the dialogue and I told them the concept and everything. And in this, you know, I was gonna, all the, all the dialogue is sung um, from beginning to end. So I had the, I had them just write the dialogue in a way I gave them, I gave them some direction. Like I wanted to rhyme a little bit, but not too much, like these types of things. And most of them didn't know, really know what they were doing, like the whole, the whole idea, but the vision was in my mind and I kind of knew like how to guide everybody to do what they did. And uh, then I took it to a third person who, I wanted to write internal thoughts for characters in specific moments, which happens a lot in musicals and operas, you know, when people are singing what they're feeling and not necessarily what they would say. Um, and so I had another person write at those for the uh, text for those particular moments. And I took all of that music, all that text and set it to music. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you're an amazing producer because that's a lot. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> The end result is amazing. So you should be proud Thank of you. yourself. Yeah. Thanks. So how challenging was it to have the whole storyline and song? You didn't um, direct it yourself. You had no. somebody else direct it. Talk That's to correct. us about how pulling all those pieces together, because it just flowed seamlessly. Yeah. So, so, you know, through my studies of like opera and in singing operas and, I, and, uh, and then, you know, loving soul music and even like concept albums and stuff like i was just recently listening to like marvin Gaye's what's going on you know um and even like albums like uh, uh stevie wonder's inner vision and stuff I and mean, this stuff happens in soul music it happens in jazz but just this this sense of co cohesion um that happens so there's a couple of things that i that i like to do that i get from uh, from from opera composers like Richard Wagner and Puccini, they would use these motifs, or uh, Wagner was a German composer called them light light motif, and they just these small musical ideas, and and you take that you weave that through the entire thing. That was kind of the main main part of it. Other than that, the way it's structured is also comes from opera in a, what they call a um, a number style opera which basically means it's like, though it is music continually, there's still these sections 
that you sense. So there's sections of sung dialogue and there's sections of that would be a scene or a song or aria or something like that that are that have different feels to them. The sung dialogue sections they call an opera recitative or recitativo, which just is moments where a lot of information can happen and shifts in emotions can happen based on the actor and how they're how they're presenting the ideas and and it's only it's very light um support musically like usually a harpsichord or a piano or something like that and then it would go into like okay big emotion moment where we stop for a second to be in this emotion um and that becomes like a song i, I find it fascinating um let me ask you this how long mm -hmm. did it take from you actually starting the process of writing this musical till you were read till the script and the music was ready to shoot I would say all of it took about seven years, but um, it, it, there was a lot of other things that happened in between. So there, there was probably a year or so of getting like all the text together, and then I started writing about half of it, and the music, the half of the music. So I, that you know, that probably took about a year, and then I was shopping it around to different people to see what kind of interest I could find and. Some somebody that could like you know partner with me as far as like you know um, supporting the budget and so forth, um, and then it, I took a pause in there because I went to grad school, um, and um, I I didn't write for a while, but I had the whole I had the whole script and all the text was done. Um, I was just trying to see like where do I go with this? Like how do I actually get take this to the next level? So that was about two and a half years or so, and then. The year after that, I had a moment when I was I was traveling for for a show, and in between in between uh, rehearsals, I I had all this time because it was a show that I'd done before, like you know, and I knew really well, so I didn't have to like really think about like practicing it. So in my off time, I was just I just finished writing the whole thing just in case somebody came up and was like, "Hey, let's do this," um, and that so from there to when we actually started shooting was about another two years so it was raising funds at that point it was then fi finding the finding the director then raising the funds and then casting wow so that's mm -hmm. that, that's interesting so as an independent filmmaker how hard was it for you to raise funds for this because it was a lot of moving mm -hmm. pieces yeah. it's very good quality i mean it mm -hmm. looks expensive so you know, talk to us without going into a lot of detail, but how did you yeah. raise funds for this project? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was, it was the most money I've ever spent on anything in my life. I was writing so many checks and I was like, I've not, I've never written this much money for checks, you know? Um, but raising money was, was very difficult, um, because I had never done it before and I didn't really have relationships with the people that usually invest in things like this. Um, at the time. So um, initially my plan was to try to partner with an organization. I sat down with BET. I sat down with Warner Brothers. I was like, hey, what's up? Let's do something with this. But not, nothing of that of that uh, kind work, worked out. And so I, I just decided to start talking to my professors from grad school and like my family members and friends and that's that's how we got the core of the budget and we shot the first like we shot like 50 percent of the film 
um, and we're able to show people like, look, this is what it looks like. This is what we're doing. Um, we want to finish. And then people, some, uh, some people doubled up, you know, and gave us more. And then, and a lot of it was, was me and my, and my wife, uh, investing our own money and our own resources. And also like we got to a point halfway through where we didn't have enough money to finish it. And then my wife came in, shout out to Robbie Wallace. She came in and she was like, let's do this. We got, we're in halfway, we got to make it happen. So, so she came up with these brilliant ideas to, to make everything, um, get, you know, f to finish it all. So. And Goes then, to the yeah. wife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause you yeah. got it done and it's on Amazon yes. prime. So that's right. That's right. You know, <laughs> Kudos to you. So let's talk about some of the pieces. Like I, I just loved everything mm -hmm. about this film, and I particularly liked the uh, uh, choreography, especially the scene within the cafe. It had that Harlem Renaissance feel. Yeah. Who yeah. was your choreographer, and tell us about that process. Yeah, the choreographer is uh, Diane McIntyre. Um, Diane McIntyre has worked with, I mean, done a ton of stuff. Her resume is extensive, you know. Uh, she was, she lives in Cleveland, though she's back and forth to New York, um, you know, because she's still working. Um, she's, I don't know how, how, you know, she's been working for years, you know, in the, in the industry and in film and stage. Um, so when um, some of my, the co-producers on the film are from Cleveland, the director's also from Cleveland, uh, Myron Davis. Um, and the reason why Cleveland came up so much is because we got an, an initial uh, grant support from uh, the state of Ohio to shoot in Cleveland. And so because we were shooting in Cleveland, the director had a relationship with, with Diane McIntyre. Also, some family friends of mine had a relationship with Diane McIntyre. So I was like, oh, this is this sounds like it's, you know, it's just God, you know, like we just need to just lock that in. And she heard the music and she was like, oh, this is great. I love this. I love the blends and the and different mix of the vibes. So she was she was she was in when she heard the music, and she was awesome on set. Like it, it's funny because it's what she's one of those people that they don't have to say much to get what they want, you know, to get a to get a product. But the dancers fully understood where she was coming from, and she would just say, "Okay, I need you to do this," and it needs to be like you're stretching this way, and the dancers were right in, and it was you know it was great. It was. It was exactly what I, what we needed for How King. Yeah, that was amazing too. Like I said, I love the film and everything about it. So I want to ask you about the set design because that was yeah. amazing too. That's why I asked you how you funded it because everything looked expensive. Um, I especially like the set design when mm. the black soldiers were at war. Uh, they yeah. were away in the woods and I, and it was believable. It wasn't cheesy. It was mm -hmm. like, okay, mm -hmm. they are away at war. So talk to us a little bit about the set design and how you pull things together for the look. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, a uh, big shout out to Myron Davis, uh, to Jim Zunt, who was our cinematographer, um, because a lot of it, too, is how you shoot it. You know what I mean? Uh, the, getting the right angle so that the eye can be focused on certain things. You know, uh, Myron had the vision for how he wanted to look. Uh, he he wanted to get like this mash vibe. Um, and so the, that's what we went for. He Myron had a good relationship with our um, uh, production designer in, in Cleveland. His name, uh, is Rob Peck. Uh, Rob had worked with Myron on some stage shows and stuff. And, and, uh, so when they talked about it, Rob was like, all right, I got you, you know? And, and they were like, you know, while we're on a set, they were just showing me different tents and stuff. And, 
and uh, they had the eye for it. They knew how to make it look and feel the way it was, it was supposed to look. The interesting thing is that part of it was done on the soundstage, and another part of it was actually done in a forest preserve in Ohio, um, like about 40 minutes south of Cleveland. So this the song, the Memphis Shack song, where the guys were singing about, you know, what happened, you know, what they're missing out on back home, that's on the soundstage. Um, they, we had some guys that, that built that whole set to make it look like a, you know, tent and everything. Um, and then, and he lit it, you know, um, so that it would, it would look like moonlight and so forth. And, and then, and, um, the other parts of the, of the, of that, uh, scene were shot in the forest preserve. Let's talk about the actors. I want to start off sure. by asking you about Eric Robeson and Darian Dean. I, I'm yeah. actually familiar with them. Eric okay. went to Howard H. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And Darian Dean, he's to be managed by a good friend of mine, uh, Miles. So yeah, how did they... Miles. Yeah, you know Miles? Okay, yeah, so tell yeah. us how um, they became involved with the project. Yeah, so so that that's that's really awesome. So, uh, so I've known both of them for years. Um, from like the indie soul circuit in New York City. Um, I was often like music director. Um, I had my own band and we would play like I, I did I did Soul Village like in two thousand six or something like that and been in contact with Eric Roberson since then. And well actually before that when my first album came out, which was in two thousand five. Uh, we had some mutual friends and so uh, he's always been a nice guy and and he gave me a lot of pointers of like being an independent artist and stuff because you know he kind of uh, was a trailblazer in that in that regard um darian we were we had mutual friends um uh that you know just on the scene we were kind of coming up at the same time um and i've i've played for him his gigs a couple times uh, on keys and and we've collaborated before. And so just in the midst of all the interaction and collaborations, um, when I first started writing How King, and, and I would I would sing all the demos myself. And when I was playing it for people, they were like, I'm confused. It's just a whole bunch of Steves, you know? And so they were like, so I just thought, it's, it's going to be better if you hear different voices so you can get the idea of what's happening. This is before there was any anything that was filmed it was just the just the music um and there's a lot of back and forth it's not just like i'm just sitting singing this song it's like four or five people you know so um i i called up darian and like hey man can you sing a couple of these parts for me because i know his voice and i know his voice can do and i just knew it was perfect for this one this one role and um um years go by um and i and i'm looking for somebody to actually play the role you know we have the budget and we're doing the film um, and, uh, and I, I, we actually were talking to somebody else about doing a role and it, it wasn't working out. And I was like, why don't I just call Darian? Let me see what he's doing. Cause he sounds so great on the demo. I called him up. He was touring at the time. And he said, but I said, we'd be back in July, whatever it was. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be back for a couple of weeks. I was like, I just need you for like a week for this one thing. And he was like, all right, cool. So that's how he got involved and, um, he did a fantastic job. And with, with Eric, the first half of the film, the first part of the film schedule had already been filmed and we were still trying to raise money for the second part. And when I, in the midst of doing that, I shared what we had with, with Eric. And he was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, let me know how this goes. I would love to just hear more about it or whatever. Um, if you're doing anything else, I was like, okay. 
Um, and also, I had someone else that was playing Henry King, who was an older gentleman, um, and but he's still touring um, with a with a, with a with a group, you know, like one of the old school R and B groups. And uh, he's like, I can't, I can't come to to shoot. And I was like, all right. So I just I just reached out to Eric. I was like, man, do you want to do this thing? He was like, well, let me know. Let's look at the calendar. It sounds fun, you know. And we found some days that worked for him, and he he jumped in. So. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love them both. So anybody yeah. out there who went to Howard who's watching, make sure you check out Eric Robeson and this R&B opera. It's amazing. <laughs> so tell us about the other actors, the lead actors, actually. They were amazing, too. How did you find Thanks. them? Yeah, it was... Uh, so uh, shout out to Monet Dunham, another person I met on the, the indie soul circuit. Um, she's a flautist and singer and songwriter. Um, and we've worked together, but she's also been in, uh, in film. Like she's in, uh, another girl on the IRT and she's done some other film TV stuff. So, um, and she's just like the, just like really, uh, uh, just like one that somebody that likes to connect people with other people, um, and knows a ton of folks that great singers and performers. So I just reached out to her. I was like, Hey, I'm looking for to fill some roles, especially with how, um, I think I had someone else that was going to play Hal and Furch too, and he was on a tour and he couldn't do it. Um, and I was looking for somebody that had a youthful energy, that had this, a soulful voice, um, you know, and and had you know a little bit of like Usher vibes to him, you know, because I mean, really, I, I had a dream about about Hal King and Usher was in my dream, you know what I mean? And 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 I we can get more into that if you want to, but. I, I, you know, I just told Monet, I was like, look, look, looking for a young tenor, you know, soulful, but, you know, Usher vibes. And she was like, okay. And she sent me some names and, and I saw Tyreek Ballard and I, I listened to, to hit some of his music. And I was like, oh, I think this is the guy. And he kind of looks like how I want how to look, you know? And so he came in for an audition. Um, I, and after he sang and we did a couple of acting things, I was like, okay, cool. Um, Sheree Moultrie, who played Cat. Um, was uh, somebody I worked with at a church. Uh, I was a music director at a church, and she was one of my praise and worship singers. And uh, I was just always, you know, loved the quality of her voice. It was a beautiful sound. Um, and when um, when we were we were shooting this, and again, I had I think I had somebody else in the role um, that was not getting back to me. And I was like, okay, I got to move on. So I just like, and it was. It was, I just like called up Shreya. I was like, hey, because I know she did musical theater too. Like she, she does, you know, she has a lot of shows. She's done Dream Girls and a bunch of other things, you know. So I'm like, hey, would you be interested? Could you do this? Are you free? And she was like, yeah, sure. Whatever you need. So I want to hear about your Usher dream. I mean, you brought it up. So now you got to yeah. spill the beans. When I was um, in, living in Brooklyn, I, I had this dream one day that it was, uh, it, Usher was running through a battlefield. And he had a, a, a Shakespearean like poet shirt on and and jeans and Timberlands on. And and I woke up and and that's and I saw him clearly and, I, and it, everything that was happening. And I woke up and I was like, oh, man, it was like I didn't like what does that mean? But then I fully understood what it meant. And that's when I decided I had to start writing some what became Hal King, you know. I wanted to find a way to blend those worlds together, like the Timberlands and jeans with the, the poet shirt, you know, the European poet shirt. And, and I just, I just knew all the elements that had to be in it from that point, you know? Wow. Shout out to Usher for giving you inspiration. 
Yeah. I knew yeah, I liked him for some reason. <laughs> he still hasn't called me back. I reached out to him to, to play how. He was like the first person I reached out to, but he hadn't. He didn't uh, don't worry. He's going to be calling you soon about something else. Which leads <laughs> yeah, me good. to um, what's next for Steve Wallace. You have so much talent. I can't mm, wait to you. hear about things that you're doing in the future. So is there yeah. anything you could share with me in the audience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm always putting out music. I have a lot of independent albums out, um, about 15 or so, actually. And, you know, I, I put... Uh, so just recently, I released an album on um, May 31st um, that is a, uh, a modern adaptation of a German classical music song cycle called Dichterliebe. But it has like R&B and hip hop vibes to it. So it's got like beats and stuff, but I'm still singing it as an opera singer. And so, so that's, it's a cool little mashup there that came out on the on the 31st and I'm working on a, a short film to go along with that, um, which is hopefully will be done this summer and hopefully ready to share with the public by the end of this summer. So we're getting close to um, signing off. Uh, let our audience know how they can follow you on social media, how they can keep up to date with what you're doing and get notices yeah. about your upcoming shows. Definitely. Well, first things first, things first my website, stevewallacemusic.com. Go there and check it out periodically. I post whatever the newest thing is I'm putting out or whatever. Um, and you can check out my other content that's already happened. Um, uh, and uh, it, you can also follow me on Instagram, uh, Steve W Studio One, um, and I update that in daily, probably. Um, Facebook also, uh, Steve Wallace Music. Um, I also have my personal page on Facebook. You just search Steve Wallace; it'll come up. Those are probably the best ways to follow me, and um, those—that's what I do regularly. Okay, great, great. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us today. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. And make sure you check out How King is showing on Amazon Prime. And until next week, consider yourself blacklit.